the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To get a complimentary copy of Dave's book and a complimentary consultation, call 877-GAINS-4-U or MortageFinancial.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land... We unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Uh, yes, indeed. That is exactly who we are, and it's exactly what we do. Welcome to Always Right Radio. It's eight minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Tuesday, the 27th morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord, 2024. It's a Kersenow day. Peter Kersenow will be with us. Yes, we can always dig it. We always dig it when Kersenow is on board. Peter Kersenow will give us analysis of everything that matters. That's coming up in hour number two from 1010 until about the top of the next hour. And uh, that means the first and third hours are yours and mine together to discuss what matters most. 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers is just fine and dandy. It'll get you here uh, to the ballpark. Uh, so let's play. Uh, a lot of things to get into today. Can you believe that um, Joe Biden, for the first time in his presidency, first of all, just stop right there. For the first time in his presidency, and he's in his fourth year now, he wants to go visit the southern border. <laughs> It's finally worth his time and worth his attention. It's finally worth acknowledging now that 81% of the people in the United States of America say that illegal immigration is their number one concern. Now that left-wing Democrat, that means sharing the president's party, um, in big blue sanctuary cities are screaming about the overflow and they're out of resources, they're out of room, they're out of space, they're out of money, they're out of food, they're out of medicine, 
They're out of everything that they need for all of these people that apparently decided to come here and start freeloading on everything they can find. Democratic leaders are telling Biden it's got to stop. I mean, geez, I mean, we were with you for three years, but you know what? I mean, we're at the breaking point now. And so suddenly in an election year in which all Americans, or at least 82% of them, say this has got to stop, he's like, okay, maybe I'll go look at the border. When are you going to do that? Well, I was going to go on Thursday, then I found out my friend was going. Yeah. Biden says he didn't know Trump was going to the border. Why would he not know? How could he not know what Donald Trump is doing? You're telling me nobody in his staff knew? No. Come on. They're trying to fight. Look, the Biden administration slash Joe Biden himself, the, the president, has been so extraordinarily intellectually dishonest and disingenuous with what's really going on at the border. There was a great montage that I saw last night of virtually everybody. Yeah, hold on with that. Uh, there was a montage uh, on Fox, I think it was last night, of you know Joe Biden saying the border is secure. Kamala Harris saying the border is secure. Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary, the border is secure. Over and over and over, they said over the course of the last three years, suddenly it's like you know nine million illegal aliens in, um, illegal alien violent criminals uh, targeting and and harming American citizens. Suddenly. Uh, okay, now we recognize that the border is not secure. I'm going to go down. So Biden is set to visit on Thursday, the same day that President Trump is scheduled to go. Why? You know why. Because it's the, don't tell me you didn't know that he was going. Don't tell me nobody in the staff knew that he was going. Trump is going to go down there and is going to export, uh, ex, uh, uh, excuse me, he's uh, going to expose um, exactly how bad it is, the way so many reporters and so many other legislators have gone lots of conservative and republican legislators have gone down their candidates have gone down and um biden's good i mean uh trump is going to go down there and just blow the lid off of it all and biden has to do something so biden is going to go down to brownsville texas to meet with u.s border patrol agents and law enforcement and local leaders to see the handiwork for which he is responsible, so that he can see up close and personal what drug cartel members look like. See up close and personal what human traffickers look like. See up close and personal, you know, every other time anybody from the administration has gone down there. And, and of course, Biden hadn't done it. But every time Kamala or anybody else goes down there, um, you know, they take her to, you know, uh, uh, like El Paso or someplace where it is completely abandoned, where there is no massive crush of people crossing the river, uh, you know, crossing over the barriers or borders or whatever the case might be, so they can say, see, look, it's not nearly as bad as the media says. It's not nearly as bad as Trump says. It's not nearly as bad as uh, the Republicans say. It's basically a sanitized version of the border. It's what they do. Right. So um, now this time, of course, they have to say, because of everything that's going on, that we realize it is a crisis. Now they're going to go down there and dress it. And I was going to go down there and talk tough. And the worst part about it is Biden is literally now calling for some of the same policies that Trump had in place that brought the border under control for the best, you know, in the, for the three and a half years anyway, uh, of, of the most controlled border in 45 years. Now, Biden is actually going to use some of those things. And the hilarious part about it is he cannot use them. He cannot use any of those Trump policies without having to explain 
how he can do so without an act of Congress. Remember what he said? Remember what uh, Mayorka says? Remember what KJP diverse sec- uh, diverse diversity hire uh, secretary press secretary says? Well, this is a congressional issue. This isn't a Trump issue. I mean, a, a, a Biden issue. This is congressional. Congress has to act. The Republicans have gotten on the way. There's border security bill just waiting, and they won't vote on it. Horse crap. They didn't need one border security bill because it wasn't a border security bill. And number two, uh, that, of course, noted by the and proven by the 1.8 million illegals that would have been allowed to come across if that border bill uh, that passed out of the Senate had gone through the House, if... God willing, it never, ever sees the light of day, thanks to Speaker Johnson in the House. That's what it would do. But um, they, they, you know, they claimed that Congress had to take an action here, that Biden couldn't do anything. Well, now Biden is acknowledging that he can do everything unilaterally by executive order. He can indeed impose some of the same types of conditions that were in place when Trump was president. And he knows it, and they know it, and now he's got to find a way to sell this to the people, that he wasn't just uh, abdicating his responsibility. He wasn't just ignoring his, his oath to protect and serve the, the homeland and so forth uh, for the first three years. He has to find a way to explain why he did nothing for the first three years plus. And now in an election year, as we head into March of an election year, a re-election year for him, suddenly he wants to take action. So he's going down to the border. It's going to be nothing but a dog and pony show. They're going to be, according to reports, about 325 miles apart are Trump and um, uh, Biden. Biden's going to Brownsville, and Trump is going to Eagle Pass, where all the action is, or at least all the action was. What is interesting, by the way, or wh- rather, what will be interesting is how Joe Biden is received by Texas. Remember, the Biden administration went to the Supreme Court to stop Texas from protecting Texans. Did you catch that? To stop Texas from protecting its own residents, its own ranchers, its own citizens. Joe Biden went to the Supreme Court to say, don't let them keep putting up razor wire. We want people to come in through the, over that border. They're trying to keep them out. I mean, if you ever needed anything more to really truly understand Biden's goal and the left's goal, as it pertains to illegal immigration, know that he went to the Supreme Court to demand that Governor Greg Abbott remove the razor wire and remove the barriers, the shipping containers that were used to build kind of a makeshift wall. We were supposed to get a big, beautiful wall when Trump was president. We didn't get one. We got a little tiny portion of one. So Texas said, well, then we'll do it. We'll build our own wall with shipping containers. Anything that can be a barrier to try to slow down, if not outright stop, but at least slow down uh, the massive number of crossings. And Joe Biden went to the Supreme Court to stop them from doing those things, to stop them from providing or putting up barriers, from putting up buoys, big orange buoys, many of them outfitted also with razor wire, to stop people from trying to swim through and pass them and come across into the, uh, into the United States in the Rio Grande. Uh, every single thing that Texas tried to do, Biden tried to stop. And now Biden is going into Texas to see this. I wonder how the, remember when the, the, uh, the, in the response to what, um, uh, Greg Abbott was doing, which was putting the National Guard on duty down there, his National Guard, um, Biden was going to commandeer the Texas National Guard. 
I wonder how the National Guard and I wonder how the Border Patrol agents are going to greet Joe Biden on there knowing that he is the one who's responsible for making all of their lives so miserable. By the way, it isn't just Texas's National Guard down there anymore trying to provide security. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida has sent uh, hundreds of Florida National Guardsmen to go to Texas and help secure that border to try to slow down this invasion, this literal invasion of the United States of America. And by the way, it has been so effective. Talking about shipping containers, talking about razor wire, talking about National Guardsmen, talking about a semi-militarization of the Texas border. So much so that the new hotspot is in the sanctuary state of California. And now they're rerouting so many of these illegal alien caravans and posses coming up uh, through the southern border instead of having them come across through Texas. And, of course, they still have opportunities in Arizona and New Mexico, but California has become the new go-to spot uh, because as soon as you go uh, get into California, nobody's touching you. They have declared themselves to be a sanctuary state, not just sanctuary cities, but an entire sanctuary state. So just, uh, you know, like I said, last month, the uh, 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 Biden Justice Department asked the Supreme Court to stop everything Texas is doing to stop illegal immigration. And now Biden is going down there to see it firsthand. I'll be very curious to see what the reception is he gets from. You know what he'll get? If the illegals are down there near Brownsville, he will get a standing ovation from the from the radical left. Or uh, rather, I'm sorry, not from the radical left. I guess I kind of repeat myself there, but I, I meant to say from the illegals who are there. But they are going to be radically left once they get here because they're down there. Rachel Campos Duffy on Fox this morning, they aired uh, 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 part of her journey down there, part of her trip down there. She has uncovered um, a site that is used to house migrants, and she's there interviewing them and asking them about their you know, experiences and so forth. And one of the other things that she's asking them about and they're t- uh, telling her is – who you like in the United States? Who do you support in the United States? And over and over and over, if I had a Hispanic accent, I could give it, well, give you one here, but I don't. But, you know, Biden, 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 Biden. They all say Biden. They, and, and why are you here? I'm asking Biden to let us in because we want to work. We want to work. We want to pursue the American dream, et cetera, et cetera. So these are, these are illegals being housed with government funding and Nobody was supposed to know where this is. It was supposed to be a dark site. They're housing uh, these you know, government funding, but non-governmental organizations, NGOs, who are taking that money and operating these, these sites, these houses, and so forth, these uh, 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 you know, uh, venues, if you will, to provide housing for these people. Non-government agencies or organizations, but paid for by government money. Workers there were asked um, about what the organization did. No answers. Why so much secrecy? No answers. You can't be here. Uh, and then she went outside again and started talking to some of the people who were living there. And they kept saying, Biden, Biden, Biden. They love Biden because Biden has opened the door for them. So this is pretty extraordinary. Uh, and now uh, Trump is going down there and Biden is going down there. And we will see how the uh, uh, the uh, uh, people of Texas, the Border Patrol, the National Guardsmen and everybody else, when Joe Biden goes down to the Brownsville on Thursday, we'll see exactly how they greet him. And I hope they give him the greeting that he deserves. I hope they absolutely ignore him, do not give him respect, don't even salute him. And I know that is breaching protocol and so forth, but to me, the protocol of respect for the President of the United States should be reserved for presidents who respect the United States. 
If he does not, if he surrenders sovereignty and security intentionally, willfully, knowingly, putting Americans in harm's way to the tune of hundreds of thousands dying from fentanyl overdoses, thousands being trafficked, resources being absorbed by illegals to the point where American uh, children are being evicted from their rec centers, evicted American veterans being evicted from their shelters, school children being evicted from their schools so that there is a place to house uh, you know, millions of illegals who are here under Joe Biden's invitation. If he refuses to respect the rule of American law, then how on earth can we expect the military or anybody else down there to respect him? So that is clearly the lead story right now. Uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting week. Uh, and then obviously we're going to be watching very closely on Thursday when they go down. And speaking of illegal immigration, the other huge story here are some of the details that have been re- released now of the killing of the young nursing student in Georgia by an illegal alien. Um, it is disturbing. It is um, gruesome. And you shouldn't hear it, but you should also hear it. The illegal alien charged in the Augusta University nursing student Lakin Riley's death is accused of disfiguring. It's the word used by the uh, affidavit, disfiguring her skull as a part of her murder. Jose Antonio Ibarra charged with felonies of malice murder, murder, kidnapping, false imprisonment, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, and concealing the death of another, as well as a misdemeanor crime of physically hindering a 911 call, according to the affidavit that was filed just uh, four days ago. According to new information added this, this week, Ibarra did commit the offense of aggravated battery when he maliciously caused bodily harm to another by, and I hate the language here, and I'm sorry, but... We need to know by seriously disfiguring her body or a member thereof by disfiguring her skull. I I don't want to imagine, truthfully in my mind's eye, what that means and and how that was done. But you probably have the same um, horrific images in your own head. So this information is coming out now. Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia is speaking out and blaming, well, the correct people here. This individual was only here because of Joe Biden and the Biden administration. That's reality. There's no getting around that. And Governor Kemp wants everybody to know it. But the left is basically saying, eh, this is, this is, uh, you know, this is a one off. This is an outlier. Why is everybody freaking out? I mean, we shouldn't let the death of one American, you know, civilian or citizen, we shouldn't let that guide or, or establish our, um, uh, our national immigration policy. I want to quote this actually here because I, I was just so disgusted when I saw it this morning. I had to respond to it. But, um, there was a message from, let me see, I'm trying to find this, uh, this tweet from earlier this morning as I was preparing this show. Uh, Yeah, here it is. This was in response to Democratic State Representative Katie Porter from California. 
This is what Porter said on CNN. Let me see if I can give this to you real quick so I can then give the response. Well, I think when a horrible tragedy like like this happens, I think whenever we're dealing um, with violent crime, there is a sense of outrage, of sadness, and of loss. But I think the important thing to focus on is any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy. There it is. That's the line. No single instance of violence committed by illegal aliens against American citizens should shape our foreign policy, which begs the I mean, our immigration policy, which begs the question, okay, Katie, precisely how many instances of illegal alien crime against American citizens have to happen before you say we should it should shape our overall immigration policy? How many? Two? Because if you say two, okay, then I'll bring you uh, the, the records of Kate Steinle. Three? 20, 200, 2 million, because crimes are being committed against American citizens all over the country by these people. Now, they're not all murders, but there are a lot of them, including the beating of police officers that are absolutely violent. How many instances of illegal immigration crime against American citizens should shape our overall immigration policy? Katie, Joe, Alejandro, Democrats, how many does it take? How many civilians need to die or be hospitalized or harmed in such egregious ways before you say, you know, the people who are doing this harming should never have been here in the first place. Maybe we ought to do something about that. How many? And the answer is, there is no number, because for these maniacal, lunatic, fringe, demon rats, votes by these illegal aliens are more important than the number of killings and violent crimes committed by these illegal aliens. Votes. We need them here by the scores, by the millions, so that we can then declare a general amnesty and a pathway to citizenship, because what are we going to do? Deport 30, 40, 50 million illegals? We're up over 20 now, and it's almost impossible to think about deporting them all. If we, if we increase the number to the point where everyone agrees that it's impossible to deport them all, we have to figure out what to do with them. And what can we do with them? We give them a pathway to legalization, citizenship, voting rights, and then we watch them say, thank you, Joe Biden. Check for every person with a D after his or her name in the future elections of this country in perpetuity. Because they're the ones who brought us here. They're the ones who gave us this uh, uh, citizenship. That's what their goal is. And when they're here, do you think they are happy to be in the United States as American citizens? Or do do you think they're going to assimilate into American culture? Or do you think they're going to isolate in classic immigration patterns, living in their own communes and their own communities where they absolutely work against American interests. I promise you this, none of them are standing and saying the Pledge of Allegiance when we do it after the bottom of the hour break. None of them are doing that. They don't care about America. They care about taking America. First fill up. That's promo code GIFT. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, it is 9.37, Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Appreciate you being there. Is it just me or is there... Oh, there it is. Okay. I couldn't hear any music for some reason. It sounded just odd to me. It's hard to listen to my own voice. I don't like it that much. 
I like to have something to distract away from it. I like to hear a little bit of the music. Um, uh, Patriots, uh, let's do our pledge now. We do have a lot of uh, uh, things to get through this morning. We have Peter Kersenow coming up in a uh, half an hour or so, but we do have a lot of things to get through. Let's start with our pledge, or let's do it now. We didn't start the show with it. Uh, but if you are a patriot and you do believe, go ahead and stand, as I say to every audience that I do this with in person. Uh, if you are not a believer in it, don't virtue signal. Don't pretend. Just uh, just do your thing. Take a knee like a good little Marxist while the rest of us stand proudly and acknowledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So if you want to talk, obviously, about the issues uh, uh, involving uh, mass illegal invasion, we have to really kind of stop calling it immigration and call it what it truly is, which is invasion of the United States. Um, we, we're, we'll, we can talk about that, but I want to pivot to something else, too. President Trump, of course, is fighting for his political life. And honestly, in the criminal cases, the one I want to talk about now is the civil case in New York, but... He's fighting for his freedom, his literal physical freedom in the criminal cases because they want to lock him up. Um, this, this leftist party that says we are threats to democracy, they want to lock up the leader of the opposition party for the rest of his life by charging him with things that no one else has ever been charged with despite very, very similar allegations, including things like classified documentation in physical documents or online via email and so forth. But they're literally trying to uh, put him in prison for the rest of his life, and failing that, they want to bankrupt him. They want to seize his properties and assets, everything they can do to destroy him and drive him out of public office uh, candidacy. Okay. So the the civil case in New York, a lot of people don't understand. Now, I have taken great pains to try to understand it. I'm not a realtor. I'm not a banker. I don't know how to appraise property. I don't know how loans are given or how they're decided. I certainly don't know whether or not the appraisal of the bank that is making the loan um would ever be considered to be so egregiously high as to damage or harm someone else not related to the actual loan. Everything that, that Letitia James, the most extraordinarily corrupt and criminal attorney general, maybe in the history of the country, and that goes for all 50 state AGs and, uh, and, and maybe United States AGs in, in uh, charge of the Department of uh, Justice. She's the one who, of course, ran her campaign on the I, if you elect me as attorney general of the state of New York, I will get Donald Trump. I'll get him on something. I don't know what yet, but I will find something and I'll get him. This is how leftists run for office. This is how it left this leftist won the office. And sure enough, to her credit, wink, wink, she's good on her word. She has indeed gone after Donald Trump. And she has, of course, convinced a corrupt judge with no jury a corrupt judge, just as corrupt as she is as, as an AG, to um, fine Donald Trump $355 million for overvaluing his assets. So as I, as a non-attorney, as a non-investor, as a non-real estate agent, as a non-property appraiser, and as a non-banker and, and, and loan maker, trying to understand this just like everybody else. 
I found the most comprehensive and easy to understand in layman's terms explanation for what they're doing to Donald Trump that I've heard thus far. And it came from Judge Andrew Napolitano. Judge Napolitano used to be on Fox News on a regular basis. They had a falling out. They accused him of some things and whatever it was. I don't exactly know. But I do know that he used to be on Fox, and he was obviously one of the most well-respected legal minds um, in the business. Judge Napolitano appeared on a podcast show. I don't know whose. It doesn't matter, but it was uh, something that I found in an Instagram video. It's four minutes and 32 seconds of clarity that I think we all need. Why do we need it? Why should we understand in so much depth what Donald Trump is going through? And the answer is, in my opinion, so that you can truly understand the need to fight for him. Maybe you're already planning to fight for him, or maybe you're just planning, oh, I'm going to vote for him. I'm certainly going to vote for him. I certainly have pledged, and I pledged back when the primary season got started and there were a whole bunch of names in it, and I was very disappointed when he did not debate and participate in that process, but I said, regardless of who wins, we're going to fight for them. Well, in Donald Trump's case, he needs more fighters than maybe many of the others because he is being targeted with attacks on his wealth, on his a political career, and like I said earlier, on his freedom more than anybody else. He needs more fighters in his defense. So I think if you listen to the egregious nature of what was done to him, as explained here by Judge Napolitano, um, maybe, just maybe, it'll inspire you to do a little bit more. And I don't know if that looks like donations to his campaign. I don't know if that looks like being more active on social media, maybe sharing the video that I'm about to play for you, the audio clip of. I don't know what it looks like for you, but to do something to let everybody know we will not allow them to do this to anybody. If they can do it to a former president, as goes the popular saying, you know, they can do it to anybody. And it's true. They are targeting him. A lot of, again, there's this, the popular saying, you know, they're really coming after us, and he's just in the way. And there is some truth to that, no question about it. But, but more specifically, they're just trying to drive him out of politics. They don't want to take a chance. They do not want to take a chance that he could actually win in November and put them through another four-year nightmare, uh, you know, of their worst, you know, their worst fears. And and um, I'll give you another quick thing before I play the clip for you. I got a, a message today from the uh, uh, chairman of the uh, uh, Republican Party in Lorain County uh, who sent me a note saying, you know, look at this, you know, Michigan Democrats, the Michigan primary is here and Michigan Democrats are going to send a message to Joe Biden. You know, the D- Michigan Democrats, Biden's in trouble. And the reason why is they're going to not vote for him in the primary uh, as a message to send to him uh, to uh, uh, to to push for the ceasefire in Israel because of course they Michigan is led by a very very large contingent in many ways of quote unquote Palestinians or pro Palestinians or pro Hamas or pro you know Middle East you know we all know what Dearborn is Dearbornistan and we all know what the population looks like up in that part of Michigan and anyway they're all saying are the Muslims and Arabs and Palestinians who live and vote in Michigan that they're not going to support Biden in this primary uh, because he's siding with Israel too much by not calling for a ceasefire. And as I told the chairman who sent that to me, don't be deluded by this, you know, indicating somehow that Biden is in trouble in Michigan. Because let me ask you something, who's he running against in this primary? <laughs> 
pretty easy for them to say, we're not going to vote for Biden in the primary. Because there's nobody to vote for. Nobody else is running. He has no, no opponent. So I said to him, do not be deluded by that. You know they'll rally for him in November because what is the alternative? The alternative is Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is far more of a friend to Israel than Joe Biden could ever be. He's far more of a friend to the Jewish community, to the Israelis, uh, and and far more of a a, a pain in the rear end for the radical uh, terrorist groups that operate there in and around Israel, in Gaza, in the West Bank. You know, he's far more of a pain in the butt. So if you don't think that the, uh, the, the left, and whether it be the Arabs and the Palestinian Americans and so forth in Michigan, if you don't think they're going to rally for Biden when it comes down to a choice between Biden and Trump, uh, you're just deluding yourself. So the point I'm bringing up here is that the left is so desperate to make sure that Trump is not an option. It's not a factor. He's not a factor so that they can do some things um, that they want to get done, and that means, of course, rooting out some of the uh, not far extreme enough or not radical enough policies in their own party um, for fear of Donald Trump taking over. They want to be able to do this without the fear, the threat of Donald Trump being the alternative. So that's why they're trying to drive him out of this race. Let's take his money. Let's take his buildings. Let's take his freedom. Let's do all of the above. So that's how desperate they are to stop Donald Trump. So again, this is the truth about Donald Trump's fraud trial and conviction and judgment against him to the tune of $355 million uh, in New York, as explained by Judge Andrew Napolitano. And again, this is four and a half minutes. Listen to every word. It is worth the time I'm giving it right now because it is a very thorough and, like I said, almost elementary explanation of what is being done to him. And if this doesn't inspire you to fight for him, I don't know what will. Here we go. So Donald Trump borrowed money from Deutsche Bank regularly, consistently, and systematically. It was his, for years, sole lender, and then for other years, his principal lender. And he developed a real estate in New York City and elsewhere. Uh, in order to borrow the money, he pledged assets that he already owned as security for the money, giving a mortgage. Uh, he paid back all the money that was borrowed, and he paid it back on time. Government came in and demanded his uh, books and records, and said, we think that the evaluation you put on a building that you pledged as security for a loan you made 10 years ago was not accurate, that you overvalued the building and therefore you cheated Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank said, well, no, he didn't cheat us. We sent our own appraisers out there to appraise his buildings. We never accept at face value what our clients tell us, except in Trump's case, He was right. It was within a range acceptable to us. It wasn't exactly what we wanted right down to the penny, but it never is because the value of real estate can change every day. What's the value of a piece of real estate? What a willing buyer and a willing seller are willing to pay for. And that could be different today than it was last week and will be next week. Nevertheless, the state sued him, claiming that somehow the state suffered harm because Trump over-evaluated the assets that he pledged as security for the loan and persuaded a judge that Trump illicitly earned 
$160 million, and that $160 million plus interest should be forfeited to the state. Now, we have a principle of law in America called the harm principle. If I punch you in the nose, you can sue me because I have a duty not to touch your nose, and I breached that duty, and I harmed you and your nose. You can sue for pain and suffering and medical bills and loss of work and permanent injury if there is anybody. But if a friend of yours looks at the nose a week later and says, what happened to your nose? You said, the judge did it to me. I'm going to sue the judge. No, that other person can't sue me because I didn't breach any duty to him. I didn't harm him. So that's effectively what happened here, except there was no nose breaking. There was no harm to the bank. The bank's executives got on the witness stand during the case and said, he paid us back every nickel we loaned him. He's one of the best clients we've had. He's the president of the United States, but he ever if he ever goes back into this business, we'll be happy to lend him all the money he wants. And still the state persuaded a judge that somehow the state was harmed. It was a phantom harm. Now, you're an economist. You'll get a kick out of the state's claim for harm. Here's how we're harmed, the state lawyer argued. The banks loaned Trump more money than they should have. They should have loaned him less money, and therefore there would be more money in the bank for them to loan to other people, oh. to small businesses. A... <laughs> The bank doesn't lend from its reserves. It lends from the fake cash that the Federal Reserve gives to it. B, Deutsche Bank doesn't lend to small businesses. They don't make loans less than $100 million. C, the state doesn't know what the hell it's talking about because money is fungible. So if 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 the bank overloaned to Trump, he still he didn't put it in the money in the shoebox. He's building skyscrapers, which is employing thousands of people, which is creating new wealth each time one of those condos in those skyscrapers is bought and sold and bought and sold. And the judge, without a jury, bought this nonsense, allowed Trump's assets to be seized from him. I'll explain the seizure to you in a minute if you want to hear it. Um, in one of the greatest acts of uh, theft in the modern era. I mean, this, this would make Joe Stalin blanch for all the farms that his communist government stole from Russian peasants. Peasants, not wealthy people, peasants in the 1930s. One of the greatest acts of theft in the modern era, a theft of $355 million from one man, solely because he had the nerve, the temerity, the gall, the chutzpah to run for president again. They stole his money. I, I hope that was as elementary of an explanation for you as it was for me, and sometimes that's what I need is oversimplification. I study stuff, but I like to have it broken down in, in very easily, easily digestible bits of information, and the judge just did that. <laughs> Excuse me. Where was the harm, the example, about being punched in the nose? If he punches somebody in the nose, that person can sue him because that person got harmed. But somebody who saw it cannot sue him because they were not harmed. How is the state of New York harmed from Donald Trump borrowing money from Deutsche Bank and the state of New York saying, well, you borrowed too much money 
because your assets that you were putting up as collateral for it were overvalued. You shouldn't have been able to borrow that much money. So the state of New York is harmed. How? Who punched New York in the nose? To continue the metaphor. No one did. No one harmed New York. And what the judge said at the end there, you know, hello, Deutsche Bank testified in the case against Trump, not for the state, saying, yeah, he he overvalued the properties that he borrowed money from us on. And we got hosed. We took a bath on this. We took a massive loss. We were harmed. Yes, we, we support you, New York. Go get them. No, the bank executives at Deutsche Bank testified on behalf of Trump. We love him. One of our best customers. We didn't trust his appraisal of his real estate value. If we trusted everybody's own appraisal, of course, they're going to put whatever number on it they want in order to be able to get the best deal for themselves. We sent our own appraisers out there to evaluate his properties, and our own appraisers said, yeah, he's pretty much right on. Not to the penny, but close enough that we made the deal. We got back every nickel we loaned him, and we would loan him again and again and again. They testified to this. Should be a dismissal. A judge that wasn't corrupt and also putting on a show, looking for his 15 minutes of fame. Um, a judge who is really, truly interested in, in jurisprudence would have kicked that case immediately and said the supposed victim here, Deutsche Bank, was not victimized. They supported the person and agreed with his valuation of his properties, enough so that they say, yes, we got our money back and we would loan to him again. There is no victim, therefore there is no claim, therefore there, this case is kicked. That's what should have happened. And instead, Letitia James in the state of New York argued, and you heard this from the judge again, in very plain, easy to understand, easy to digest bits of information, um, they said that, well, if Deutsche Bank had not loaned so much money to Trump, overloaning him because of the overvaluation of his property as we see it, they would have had more money to loan to other small businesses and grow them in, in New York, which would have helped the city and the state. But as the judge explained, Deutsche Bank is not your little local you know, uh, savings and loan or your little local credit union or your little local bank. They don't make small business loans. They only make loans $100 million or more. And they do not loan from their own cash reserves what's in their actual bank, in their vault. They loan based on what the Federal Reserve tells them that they have. So, So, in other words... There was no harm done to the state of New York. There was no harm done to another business. There was no harm done to Deutsche Bank. There was no harm done to New Yorkers. There was no harm done to anybody. When Trump and his legal team repeated over and over again during this ridiculous trial, and then certainly after the result, that this was victimless, they weren't just like making up words. There were no victims because there was no crime. And the people that supposedly faced the the negative repercussions of said crime, Deutsche Bank said we weren't we we were not victims at all. We like lending money to him. His properties were what they said he said they were. The valuation was very close. We loaned him money, we got paid back, and if he goes back into private real estate transactions again, we will loan him money again and again and again. So why are they going after him? If he committed no crime, you know the answer.
you know the answer. Because Donald J. Trump, if he is not taken out of the race, will absolutely become the 47th president of the United States. And that terrifies them. Terrifies them. That's why they have to take him out. All right, thanks to Judge Napolitano for that fantastic explanation. I hope you truly understand the depth of the uh, hatred and the and the uh, war that they have waged against Donald Trump and that you will respond appropriately and you will do anything and everything you can. ...of these precious lives, close quotes. I'm Molly Smith, host of From the Median Radio Program. For program details, go to fromthemedian.org. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, and a good morning to you as we continue into hour number two now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you for being with us on this uh, Tuesday. It is the 27th morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord, 2024. And um, it happens to be a good day because it's Tuesday, and Tuesday is a Kersenau day. Let's welcome Peter Kersenau back to our program. United States Civil Rights Commissioner, Cleveland Attorney, author, columnist, law professor, and so much more. Peter Kersenau, good morning, my friend. How are you, sir? Doing great. We're getting closer and closer to spring, which means closer and closer to summer, which means we have baseball, which means we're getting closer to football. I love it. <laughs> is, that, is that how you uh, demark the passage of time is, uh, by, exactly by sports right. seasons? Yeah. That's right. I kind of used to do the same thing, actually, before. Uh, but uh, and, and, you know, well, never mind. I was going to say, I don't really miss it. I don't. It's kind of weird. I, uh, I, I, I used to be able to not only cite you the entire starting lineup for the Indians, but who was coming off the bench in what innings. I could tell you what the ERA against left-handed batters was for every reliever. Uh, I studied that stuff. I mean, now I couldn't name six players on the roster. Yeah, I'm the, same way, all, I'm the same way, although I still look forward to every once in a while in the summer coming home from work, plopping down, doing nothing, and just watching some baseball. Even if I don't even know who's playing, it's just a, it's kind of a, it does something to my alpha and beta waves, I guess. Yeah, well, at least you and I have one thing in common. We both like to plop down and do nothing. All right, so, uh, <laughs> Peter, Peter, there's a lot of work to do here today. Um, I want to talk about the border in a couple of different ways. Um, the, the first of which, you know, I, I quoted this for, for our listeners before you came on. It's so frustrating. Katie, uh, Porter is a Democrat representative from California who was on with, uh, I don't know, somebody on CNN. It doesn't matter. But the, the topic came up of the murder, the horrific murder of a young Georgia nursing student, um, which was eerily reminiscent of Kate Steinley. And I know you, you remember that horrific case, which was in California. This one was in Georgia. And, um, they were discussing the impact of that case on the illegal immigration policy, if you will, of this country. And I want to, I want to play this 19 seconds for you and then get your reaction to it. Well, I think when a horrible tragedy like, like this happens, I think whenever we're dealing um, with violent crime, there is a sense of outrage, of sadness, and of loss. But I think the important thing to focus on is any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy. So, 
Uh, Lake and Riley, the uh, nursing student who was killed um, in in a barbaric way, according to the most recent information, the individual charged in her death, Jose Antonio Ibarra, an illegal alien, he's been charged with um, malice murder, murder, kidnapping, false imprisonment, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, and concealing the death of another, as well as um, the misdemeanor of physically hindering a 911 call. And aggravated battery was added when it was determined that he maliciously caused bodily harm to her by, and the wording here is really kind of gross, but disfiguring her skull. Um, So we can only imagine what that means. And Peter, Katie Porter's response was just so, I don't know, emblematic of the left. Don't let the murder of an American citizen dictate America's immigration policy. Well, I'm thinking to myself, no one incident should, but how many should? How many? Exactly what is the number two? Because we could offer Kate Steinle three. We, we could offer dozens and dozens and dozens of cases. How about the New York police officers beaten into the hospital by a pack of illegal aliens who are here? How many crimes against American citizens need to be committed by illegal aliens before Katie Porter and the Democrat Party and Joe Biden's regime will say, yeah, maybe we should let this have an impact on our immigration policy? Well, an unlimited amount, because the fact of the matter is that that is one instance that the media was almost compelled to report upon. And even so, outside of Fox and other uh, conservative or so-called conservative outlets, you will hear very little about it. There's a concerted effort on the part of virtually all media to suppress actual stats and information related to crimes committed by illegal aliens. You may remember, or maybe you don't, it's not really that important, but a few years ago when Tucker was still on Fox, I had a series of debates with a guy from the Cato Institute about crime, which they you know, they just underplay it. You know, okay, so legal aliens commit crimes, but they also contribute to the fabric of society, blah, 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 blah. Um, a more inane argument you will never hear anywhere else. But here's here are the stats. We've got the stats on this. Legal aliens... It's almost de rigueur that I must say at the outset that not all illegal aliens are bad people, blah, blah, blah. But you hear that constantly, so you don't have to hear it from me. Let me give you the stats with respect to crimes committed by illegal aliens, not including the crime of crossing the border illegally, not including the crimes associated with remaining in this country illegally and all the things you've got to do, all the crimes you have to commit to remain in this country, such as document frauds. You go on and on and on, okay? We're talking about serious crimes. A number of studies have been done. I won't go through all the statistics and all the, cite all the studies. John Lott is one of them, uh, who I cite very often. He's testified several times before the, uh, the Civil Rights Commission. But in Arizona, let's take Arizona alone, because that's been in the news lately because of some of these sanctuary uh, hovels that are there. It is, uh, an illegal alien is not 10% more likely, which would be a lot, frankly. Not 15% more likely and not 20% more likely to commit crimes than a lawful resident. An illegal alien is 250% more likely to commit serious crimes, such as murder, rape, aggravated robbery, homicide, for example. They're not more like 20% more likely or 30% more likely. They're 250% more likely to commit homicides. Now, one thing is true, that for some reason, in Texas, 
the percentages are lower than in most other large states. I did a study of this along with my assistant and others, and we looked at five of the largest states, Florida, New York, uh, Texas, uh, California, and I don't remember what the fifth one was. But nonetheless, it varied by state. Um, And Texas, for some reason, must have a handle on this because the percentages in Texas were not quite as high as other states, but still dramatically higher. That is, the crimes committed by illegal aliens were dramatically higher, the percentage likelihood, than of lawful residents. But if you take a look at um, uh, the, the crimes committed across the country, it's extraordinary the amount of crime committed by illegal alien, again, not including the crimes such as document theft, blah, 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 that uh, they've got to commit to remain in the United States of America. So as horrific and tragic, and we must always make uh, mention of every single American killed or harmed by illegal errands, as horrific as it is, it's not an anomaly. Those kinds of things are going to continue to happen, and unfortunately, it's being suppressed by a corrupt media and by our own government and so many others out there who, who are profiting. Many people are profiting from the presence of illegal aliens. We should be looking at those people. They are ghouls. Identify them. Prosecute them where it is appropriate. But this is extraordinary. It's unforgivable. And now we have the president limping down to the border for, what, the first time, I think, yeah. after he's unleashed all of this. Yeah. Bob, the, let me give you one stat. Just one stat. Last week, Stephen Camerata, no, two weeks ago, Stephen Camerata from the Center for Immigration Studies, and I know you're familiar with them, it's Mark Krikorian's group. Sure. Mm -hmm. He testified before Congress. They did enormous work, good work, calculating the costs just with respect to increase in welfare access by illegal aliens. Illegal aliens consume per year 42, this is net, this is net. This is you, you take into consideration all of the economic benefit, quote unquote, provided by legal aliens because of work and you know whatever taxes they may pay. But the net in terms of what they consume in services and welfare, government services, is forty two billion per year. That's just for the adults. For children solely in educating children, illegal alien children because you've got to, uh, uh, under uh, Supreme Court um, precedent, is $69 billion per year. That's $69 billion that otherwise could go to the education of American children. God knows we need that. So these are just some of the things. The, the, the impact on employment, for example, we also did a study on that. And this varies from time to time. And Professor uh, George Borjas of Harvard is really the seminal person doing this kind of work, and I've testified with him a couple of times before Congress. He's testified a couple of times before the Civil Rights Commission. Illegal alien, illegal alien workers supplant American workers generally because, you know, they first of all, a lot of illegal aliens are great workers. I'm not going to take that away. I'll be very honest about it. They're great workers. But they also will work under the table Uh, for wages under the table. So as a result of that, they take lower wages, and that results in a 7%. That's significant when you think about it. Think about your own paycheck. Can you take a 7% cut? A 7% drop in wages. But more importantly, it also results in more Americans being unemployed. Why? It's just easy. It's not difficult. Everyone out there in your audience understands intuitively why that is. It's because illegal aliens are less, are less, more likely to work for less. 
less likely to cause problems related to complaints to the wage and hour division of the Department of Labor or to the EEOC or et cetera, et cetera. So illegal aliens have caused a 19%, think about that, 19% drop in the employment levels of black Americans because black Americans and other Hispanic Americans are the cohorts against which illegal aliens typically compete for jobs. They're in the same job markets, have the similar, have more similar job uh, skills. Those are significant problems. But the crime, the crime is through the roof. It's extraordinary, as I've mentioned. And yet this administration is sleepwalking through it. Why? Because I said in, uh, to, to you last week, and in uh, a very brief National Review article that I wrote, <laughs> Democratic Party has done the assessment, and they know that Democrat or illegal aliens are going to become their constituents. It's something like, and I don't have the, the stats right in front of me, but illegal aliens, first of all, do vote. Many of them do vote. Okay, don't anyone, if you hear that from Democrats, of course they are lying to you. Of course, that just, that was redundant, wasn't it? But if you hear from the media or anybody else that legal aliens are not voting, that is the biggest, biggest lie in the world. Among other things that the Civil Rights Commission does, maybe not very well, is we take a look at voting rights issues, of course. So we look at this stuff. We have the data. Nobody wants to report about it. And in fact, many conservative outlets don't report about it because there are certain conservative outlets, which I will not name, that kind of like the presence of illegal aliens because they are cheap labor. This is an atrocity, Bob. I can't. Americans of all races, of all ethnic groups, of all economic uh, strata are being hurt by this. And the bottom line for all this is it's not just cheap labor that the oligarchs get to uh, benefit from, not just, you know, humanitarian that people like to preen about. And I'm not saying that there are people out there that aren't compassionate or anything, but a lot of people like to preen about this stuff. But the economic devastation wrought by this and the criminal devastation wrought by this is extraordinary and extraordinarily underreported. There's a lot of mendacity going on here, Bob. Peter, um, that, that's so much information. I want to go back to some of the numbers you gave um, uh, from uh, Center for Immigration Studies. Give me those millions again. Uh, you, you mentioned billions. the education billions. billions. The education billions billion and then the general. Six, 42 billion in welfare and 69 billion in mm. education. That's the amount we have to spend over and above what we would otherwise be spending in order to accommodate the presence of illegal aliens who are not working or illegal alien children who must be educated. I think um, I think that maybe our friends at uh, CIS uh, were being a little charitable here and uh, and underestimating this because I'm looking at a number from March of last year. The new one is going to be coming out. They bring this number out every year from our other friends, uh, Peter at Fair. I mean, it's I remember yeah. advanced mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform, and as of March 2023, their number. The fiscal burden of illegal immigration on the United States, and maybe this takes into account some other aspects of this, is $150.7 billion. To give you a little comparison. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and to give a little comparative, by the way, that, that rate of inflation uh, is, is extraordinary. In 2017, so what, six years prior, it was $116 billion. But as of last year, 150.7. And like I said, next week or the week after, we'll get the new net uh, um, a cost to the American people for illegal immigration in this country for 20, uh, you know, in, for the last calendar year. So, um, we're talking about just under $32 billion collected in tax revenue from illegal aliens, because as you said, some of them work. Some of them work very hard, by the way, and they do pay taxes. But the $32 billion uh, uh, taken away from the gross negative uh, economic impact of illegal immigration uh, is $182 billion, leaves $150.7 billion that it costs the American taxpayers uh, to, you know, to, to put all of these people up and provide them with all of these resources. I don't understand how anybody thinks that this is sustainable, given our current $34 trillion national debt, our $2 trillion operating budget deficit in the federal government. How can we continue to give away, or not give away, but spend $150 billion a year on illegals? We can't, and the, the figures between CIS and FAIR are not as dramatically different because when you combine the, the costs cited by Stephen Camerata, it's $110 billion, and he doesn't include the stress upon infrastructure that um, FAIR includes. Both okay. those organizations, organizations are outstanding. I don't think there's much daylight when all said and done when you're comparing apples to apples between FAIR and CIS. Bottom line, Bob? Both organizations say it's well over $100 billion just in out-of-pocket costs from taxpayers to illegals. $100 billion that could otherwise be going to schools, to infrastructure, you name it, to Americans. We're paying the tax dollars here. And bottom line is, illegal. we have a generous immigration system. Most of my family members are immigrants. Extremely generous. You do it the right way. Way. So, number one, we know whether or not you've got a criminal record coming in, so we don't have more people being killed. Number two, th- th- we know that you have some system. In the old days, you had to have show that you weren't going to be a public charge. In other words, that you had a job lined up or someone yeah. else was going to take care of you. I mean, all these things that a rational, sane, and compassionate society does. It, there's no compassion to just simply letting somebody go out there and then having to fend for themselves as an illegal alien uh, committing crimes. That's, there's, that's not compassionate at all. This no. is stunning what, is, what we are doing to our country. We are to make losing this, our sovereignty. To make this um, a little more, I don't know, uh, understandable uh, and consumable for the average listener, we can do this by illegal immigrant. And again, I'm looking at FAIR's numbers from March of last year. Uh, each illegal alien or U.S.-born child of illegal aliens. So now these are American citizens by birthright citizenship, but they still yep. count because they are only here because of the Ill- the presence of the illegal aliens who are here as well. But each individual costs the United States eight thousand seven hundred and seventy-six dollars annually. Now, so so that that's each individual, and this was twenty twenty-three, like I said, March of twenty-three. And Peter, how many more came across um, in the in the fiscal year just completed? in October and where we are now because it was a record number more than there were in 2022 and 2021. We all know that you know roughly 7.3 is what they're saying a million illegals came in since Biden took office, but that's not counting the gotaways, which are estimated to be around 2 million. So we're around 9.5 to 10 million. And so when you add the new ones in there, that cost is probably pushing up somewhere in the neighborhood of $10,000 a year per illegal alien in this country coming out of your paycheck and mine. Yeah. Those are the costs 
but the societal costs, the fact that we no longer have or are acting as if we are a sovereign country, that our nationality is fungible, it doesn't really mean anything, that being an American is nothing at all, that anybody can come here regardless of whether or not they swear allegiance to the United States of America. You know, the, it, when your first act is to break the laws of the country in which you're entering, there is a reason why you should be suspect. There's a reason why we have, you know, a, um, a democratic republic that has borders. Uh, we are not a nation without it. And yet, because this administration prefers voters over citizens, having people vote for them, they are not lawful voters, that's what they're doing. Because they know, when you look at the percentages, and I used to have them at the tips of my, my fingers, and I've got them somewhere in one of my huge volume of files here, you, you look at, and I, uh, well, I'll, I'll go back to um, the article I wrote for National Review a couple of weeks ago. Lawful immigrants, at least in the first couple of generations, lawful immigrants generally vote for Democrats once they're naturalized, 62% to 28%, and uh, 62% for Democrats, 28% for Republicans, the rest are for, you know, uh, uh, unaffiliated groups. So Democrats know what is happening is they're importing voters, and the plan is to regularize illegal immigrants. And don't get me started on illegal immigrant voter fraud, which the Democrats will say, oh, no, 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 it's not occurring. Yeah, right. Everybody in your audience knows that's a big fraud. Anybody who's been alive in this, uh, on this planet for more than two years knows that that's a fraud. Sure. So all these things are being done. And we know what the plan is, too. We know what that plan America. is, Peter. You, 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 you just touched on it. You know, when there's 11 million, which is the number they had been sticking to for a very, very long time, you can say, well, we want to work on, you know, deportation proceedings against these people. But we're up over 20 now. And I believe the goal is to get to 30, 40, 50. Donald Trump said this at CPAC, 40, 50 million to the point where it's literally physically impossible to say we have to deport 50 million people. We can't do it. We have to figure out what to do with them. And that's going to be, well, let's put them to work. Let's make them a part of the country. Then maybe we'll see, like Reagan talked about, a one-time amnesty. And then maybe we'll seal it off. You make 50 million illegals who have come here citizens and give them voting rights, you know damn well they're going to be thanking those who gave them this opportunity and voting Democrat for their entire time in the United States. Um, and that is exactly their goal. And by the way, to break down, like I said, uh, you know, the cost per illegal, here's another way to look at this. The 7.2 million illegals that have entered since Biden uh, took office is greater than the population of 36 states. Right. It's yeah. the second highest uh, 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 population of any city in America, only after New York. So more people have been have been. Uh, uh, imported into this country illegally than live in Chicago or Los Angeles or San Francisco or Philadelphia or Houston, the biggest cities in the country. And the, the best comparative I have here, Pete, as we go to break is 7.2 million illegals who have come in under Biden is more than the amount of two full years of American births. Yep. American women giving birth. You know, the media like to deride this great replacement theory. That's precisely what's going on. Don't yep. let them dissuade you from that. It's bull day. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1038 now. Let's continue. We broke a little bit late there at the bottom of the hour with Peter Kersenow, but he's back with us once again. Peter, let's pivot now to politics. Um, 
This was rumored for some time, and uh, it finally came to pass. Ron McDaniel uh, done uh, as the uh, chair of the RNC. And um, there's a lot of speculation now as to who the next one should be. And Ronna McDaniel's statement when she uh, when she announced her her resignation was that um, you know it should be its longstanding tradition to have the nominee choose the the leader of the RNC, and so she wants to keep that tradition. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I like that idea because the nominee, President Trump, chose her in 2016 after he won. And she has led us to defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. We lost in 2018. We lost the majority. We lost in 2020, the majority and the presidency. We lost in 2022 when it was supposed to be a red wave and we got a little trickle and only have a three or four or five seat majority and we lost the 50-50 split in the Senate to a 51-49 deficit. Ronald McDaniel has done a horrible job, I think, as leading the leader of the RNC and helping to win elections. Um, so how do you feel about her departure, and do you think President Trump should be able to pick the uh, the new, uh, you know, as the presumptive nominee, the new RNC chair? Well, uh, to question one, I'm ecstatic. As I've said on your show several times recently, Ron McDaniel had to go. Um, whether or not she's responsible for the debacles that have occurred with respect to the Republican Party, the significant advantages they had, economic advantages and everything else, that should have offered a... For example, the year uh, a little over a year ago, uh, certain other advancements didn't happen. And even if she's not responsible for that, you know, has got a role. That's the way things operate. Just like in the military, you know, you, you got to change leadership at some point. And so I'm I'm pleased that she's gone. She may be a fine person, and maybe it's not her fault. But you know what? We've got to go in a different direction because we've got a country to save. As far as the nominee choosing the next person, um, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, you know that I'm a big fan of Donald Trump, but I'm not a big fan of any nominee choosing the Republican. I'm not sure what process is the best one. I tend to think I usually don't like committees because <laughs> committees dither and, and you know they, it, 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 they don't often come up with the best choice. But I do think that we have a Republican National Committee for a reason, and there's some smart people there, and there has to be a method other than just having one kingmaker, so to speak, choose that person or a person who you know look. I'm a Trump supporter, but at the end of the, and regardless of who the nominee is, that person's more likely going to be, even if that's not their overt um, intent, that person is more likely to be choosing somebody that benefits them as opposed to necessarily to the Republican Party and therefore the nation as a whole. So uh, if it's going to be Trump choosing, I mean, so, so be it. I'm not uh, you know, a big mover and shaker in the Republican Party, but that's not my preference. Yeah, mine either, um, particularly because what he said was that he's interested in Laura Trump being co-chair uh, of the RNC. And, you know, I, I don't want to disparage Laura Trump in any way, but I, I'm not a huge fan of the idea if and when Donald Trump becomes 47 and, and adds that to his 45 of, of having his family running the show and making as many decisions yeah. as they did last time. And that would include Jared, Jared and Ivanka, for whom I have many, many questions that remain unanswered. Um, I'm not liking that idea. I, I really think we need to separate, um, you know, the Republican Party writ large from the Republican Party uh, orbit around around Team Trump. I I, I feel yeah. like there has to be I, a, a separation there. I, I concur entirely. I, you know, I've met Laura Trump. Um, 
you know, she is, you know, if you take the Trump name away, she's nonetheless a very impressive person. And maybe if she wasn't going to have a Trump after her name, you know, she might even be a viable candidate for this. But I think it, we should avoid having nominees or principal parties, one individual within the Republican Party, make these choices. Uh, I think it's just, you know, it smacks of nepotism. There's a host of reasons why we don't like nepotism and we should avoid that in terms of this particular choice. And, and also, I think it hurts Trump, uh, because it makes it look as, as if everything that the Republican Party does is organized around Trump as opposed to organized about around the best interests of the United States of America. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it hurts Trump, and quite frankly, it hurts his supporters, too, to have everything being centered around him, because it leads to this, this these accusations and these, you know, these, uh, uh, I, I don't know, no, no another way to say that, but about, you know, the, the, the Trump cult phenomenon, you know, that everything has right. to be about Trump, that the Republican Party has surrendered itself to Trump, and it can never be one individual, no matter how powerful, whether it's a Ronald Reagan or a Donald Trump, you know, that, that individual cannot be larger than the party, that law, that individual cannot be larger than even more than the party, the conservative movement. And dare I say, America first, which, you know, President Trump, that was his, uh, you know, that was his phrase and and, and making America great again. All of these movements I love and I support. And I believe that he would tell you they're bigger than him. Uh, America first has to be something that is embraced by, uh, uh, by, you know, true patriots all over this country and the fealty is to the country and to the flag and to the Constitution, not to the individual who coined the phrase and rallied people behind him. And in addition to that, there are a lot of people, you know, some of them, I know some of them who would be spectacular as the person who makes the trains run on time, uh, you know, no pun intended, but the person who gets the job done, you know, for example, uh, if he was, if he didn't didn't come across as such a Machiavellian figure, the person I think that'd be the most effective would be Stephen Miller, who you see from time to time on uh, various shows, who used to be a close advisor to, to Trump. Stephen is one of the smartest guys in politics you're ever going to want to meet, and he knows how to win. But that's the kind of individual we need. Uh, I I get that very often the chair is no more than a figurehead, but it's or, or not no more, but is a figurehead. That's part of it. But a lot of it has to do with strategy and how to get a majority in the off-year elections and how to elect a president. And the Republican Party, despite having a lot of tailwinds behind them, let's face it, when you look around the United States of America, my goodness, the Republican Party should be winning everything because virtually everything that this administration has touched has been a debacle. Um, but we're not. We're not seeing that off-year election was a big siren going off saying that we need to pivot immediately and not yet as i said before i'll repeat myself again regardless of it's rana's fault just like in the military you got to change leadership at that particular point for a host of reasons one of which is a deterrence for other people not doing a good job yeah completely concur uh pete uh pete now let's talk about um you know trump the candidate uh, Nikki got smacked around by big double digits in her own state. I mean, that's a bad metaphor, by the way, uh, virtually smacked around politically speaking. But Nikki was uh, was defeated soundly in her own state, and she's still hanging on, and she's going to Super Tuesday. And I'm trying to figure out the reason. Uh, Ron DeSantis, I mean, you, you and I both liked Ron DeSantis in this race mm-hmm. when the primary uh, field started. Uh, 
he saw the writing on the wall and did what had to be done. Get out of the way. If you cannot win, get out of the way so that the focus can be on beating Joe Biden. Um, so did every other member of that race. So did Vivek. So did even Chris Christie and so forth. But Nikki is still hanging on, and nobody knows why. Do you think she really wants to be the alternative to Trump in the event that Trump cannot run, in the event that some felony conviction or another makes it impossible for him to run? Uh, or is she doing the work of the Democrats here? A lot of people think that she's forcing him to spend money and resources in primaries that he shouldn't have to worry about um, so that he is weaker when it comes to taking on Biden, that she is truly, you know, kind of working almost as a subversive plant or, or, or double, if you will, for the Democrats. Yeah. Uh, well, both things can be true at the same time. Um, I will tell you this. I think that Nikki Haley has severely damaged her prospects for the future. You know, she's not going to get the nomination this time around. Mm-hmm. And if she thought that somehow she was setting herself up, as many people do, to be the presumptive front runner for um, the next in four years, I think that that's a non-starter. Um, not to say that you know I've got any great inside information, but I'm sure you have probably even better information talking to your listeners. She's damaged herself among a significant cohort of Republican voters, uh, the most conservative voters, because you can't help but get this sense that part of this has to do with some form, weird form of vindictiveness, that she can't stand Trump. And I mean, it, it's clear from her language that she, there's an animosity there toward Trump. And that, that's fine. You're allowed to do that as a candidate, even if you're from the same party. That's fine. There's a lot of things to say negative about Trump. All of that's fine. But here's the problem. There's an unshakable cohort of Trump supporters, and I have to admit, I'm, I'm one of them, who hears dog whistles when Nikki Haley speaks. Dog whistles that usually come from Democrats. Hmm. She feeds into the Democratic narrative of Trump, that he's a dictator. That it, it, by the way, in, in four years, compared to Biden or compared to anybody, what I, I ask people this, I ask Democrats this, and I usually get a blank stare after they've gone on a rant about Trump. What was it that he did that was dictator-like? What was it compared to Biden, who's over here canceling student loans, doing all kinds of stuff? What was it? And they, they, you get no response. It really does come down to the silly thing about his demeanor, and it's not silly, because I don't like the way he he very often acts, but his demeanor and his mean tweets. But in terms of his governance, nothing. Nothing. Not to say every president is perfect or that his administration and governance was perfect, but my goodness, compared to a whole host of presidents, he's probably the least dictatorial or has least dictatorial tendencies. But that's what... You know what's frustrating? You know what's frustrating, Pete, about that is is the idiots who either bought it or they they don't buy it, but they're just trying to exploit it. When he said in that interview, kind of jokingly, he said, yeah, Yeah. I'm going to be a dictator just on for one day, just on day one, and and as a dictator, I'm going to say drill, 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 and I'm going to close the border. I think think that's what he said. Um, It was just two things, and and that's it. That's the end of my being a dictator. And all I've heard from Joy Reid and everybody on The View yep. and everybody on the left ever since then is he admitted it. I mean, when somebody tells you what they are, believe them. He said he was going to be a dictator. They literally think that, and again, I don't know if they think that or if they're just lying so that they can advance the narrative that he uh, truly has admitted that he wants to be a dictator. And all he said was, I'm going to use my executive powers on day one to re- restate America's energy policy to drill, drill, drill. And I think he said seal the border was the second one. I've forgotten by now, but but it was yeah. two very, no, no, very direct exactly things. Right. Exactly right. And again, both things can be true. Some of them are lying. Some of them are, are too stupid to figure it out. Uh, Joy Reid's probably too stupid. But there are a lot of folks that were lying. We're trying to take advantage of that. And because we have such a bifurcated 
uh, viewership. That is, almost everybody other than Fox and Newsmax is on the left. Every newspaper, every cable station is on the left. There's a significant cohort of Americans who are completely oblivious to what actually occurs, completely oblivious, not, not through any fault of their own, but they've been led and spoon-fed this, these lies. They're frankly flat-out lies, as, as you've indicated. Um, but that's one of the problems with, with Nikki Haley is she's going along with that program. Whether uh, she's as has as much animosity as Joy Reid has, I don't know. But she is feeding that false narrative, and she's not going to get that back. There's an, I can't imagine. I'm not going to make any predictions. But I think I know the Republican electorate well enough to say that there's a significant cohort that will never vote for Nikki Haley for any reason whatsoever because she's doing the work of the Democratic Party. And let's face it, all the never Trumpers out there from the Wall Street Journal to the publications I write for, frankly, you know, I'm one of the lone voices out there in some of the publications I vote, I I write for, but um, they are never Trumpers. They will never change. They got on that, that horse a long time ago. And despite the evidence, they will not shake their belief that somehow he is Hitler incarnate. Uh, Truly remarkable. And Bob, I'm too old to play these games. All these little kids out there who are running around saying Trump's a a threat to democracy. And again, you want to stop them in their tracks? Ask them for one specific action that Trump took during his presidency that was a threat to democracy. And then ask them, what about Joe Biden? What about all the things that he has done that are threats to democracy, one of which is, or or the Democrats generally, um, the party that's constantly talking about, going on and on about threats to democracy, is the very party that wants to throw people off ballots, that we can't vote for them even though we choose to vote for, that hundreds of millions of people can't vote because somebody, some idiot in the DNC decided, nope, can't vote for this guy. That's, again, I hate using these analogies again, it's an imperfect one, but it's the one that's, that's probably the one that's most uh, vivid, is that's Stalinesque. That's what those folks do. Throw people off that you can't vote for them. But nope, it's uh, Donald Trump who's the threat to democracies. Sorry, I'm too old to buy that crap anymore. Sorry for the language. (laughs) You used the word crap. (laughs) You have nothing to apologize there for, for goodness sakes. I say worse than that on a daily basis. Peter, last thing for you. I want to go back to the population issue with the uh, illegal immigration conversation and about the Great Replacement, because I said going going into the bottom of the hour news that that's racist for you to bring that up. Um, The Great Replacement Theory, the Great Reset, and so forth. Um, I don't know if you heard Joy Reid. Joy Reid did an unhinged rant that she posted on Twitter and is all over the place. It has gone viral in which she is uh, talking about the in vitro fertilization uh, ruling in Alabama uh, and uh, the call for, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, more more births because, you know, the American birth rate is declining and the call has been made for uh, an increase in the birth rate because of, uh, well, for obvious reasons. I mean, growing societies obviously need to have a high birth rate. Um, as people age, you know, the younger generations grow up and get into the uh, into the workforce and grease the economy and, and, and allow those who have come before them to, you know, to be able to live um, uh, live out their lives uh, in comfort. And we're talking about through, uh, uh, through you know, Social Security and Medicare and other things. Uh, if we have a massive slowdown in the birth rate, we see a massive slowdown in the economy. We see the beginning of the crumbling of civilization. But nonetheless, she said that that it is disingenuous for us to say we need to increase the birth rate when we already have a big increase in population coming across the border. She said, you're complaining 
that 10 million people have come across the border since Biden has been here, but then simultaneously saying we need to have more babies. Uh, the U.S. has a population of 327 million people. She said, why would we need more kids? And yet you're saying to keep all of these other people out of here. Peter, she doesn't seem to understand the difference between having American children that are actually here to be a part of the American culture and illegal aliens who are coming here not, repeat, not to actually become Americans, but to take over America. And to, to literally, rather than assimilate into the American culture, but to bring their American culture and replace the American culture with their own. That is the replacement theory that people say, you know, we're not allowed to talk about. She articulated it perfectly well and said, how dare you want to have more white kids um, when we have plenty of new people being uh, moved into this country, which should, uh, which should take care of our population numbers. Uh, Bob, I have to admit, I, I really don't have a response because my head hurts. I, there's only so much stupidity that my brain processes, and Joy Reid has almost unlimited amounts that she spouts on a daily basis. I mean, the I'll just say this, and I, I'm being, I'll try to be as adult as possible about this. Uh, Joy Reid is not worthy of responding to. Uh, we must, unfortunately, respond to her because, you know, the fact of the matter is, um, there's a cohort who will believe this nonsense because that's the only thing to which they're exposed. And let's be fair, most people go about their daily lives not having to cogitate these kinds of things. They've got to do things such as put food on the table, take care of their families. So they try to get information from people and hope that they're getting reliable information from various sources. And most people aren't political to the point where they've decided Joy Reid or Tucker Carlson or somebody else um, is too political for them that they are shading things, whatever it may be. But the bottom line is virtually everything that comes out of Joy Reid's mouth, including the uh and the the, is false <laughs> or or lunatic. So, yeah, I mean, this is still, did anyone ever find out, uh, she never did find her transcript, you know, what was it that she was supposedly lying about and she was supposedly do, going on a hunt for and she's never produced it? Look, I'm I'm too, I'm sorry, I'm too tired to be dealing with the Joy Reeds of the world. Uh, and the fact that she has an audience. Well, she claimed that something. she was hacked. She, she, she had posted a bunch of uh, anti-gay comments uh, that, right. that were considered to be hurtful to the LGBTQ community or whatever. She tweeted these things out, and when they were discovered, she claimed, that wasn't me, my account got hacked, just for those, just yeah. for those. Somebody hacked and put those ones up there, not me, and she was going to prove it. And, of course, uh, the, the, you know, the media did what the media does. They just let that go. They let that go by. She didn't have to prove anything. Thing. Let's forget that. Forget that ever happened. And now here she is on a daily and nightly basis. She is making anti-white commentary and anti-American uh, commentary, and uh, and and she just gets you know she she just continues on unscathed. Yeah. And that's permissible. And one last thing, Bob, unrelated, but to follow up on your comment, and this is just an anecdote. Um, you know, I'm 70 years old and been black all my life. I'm a member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. I've seen a trajectory here that is significant, and that is I've seen improvement in race relations and the manner in which blacks and other minorities were treated during most of my life, and there is now a regression, a significant regression going on that we are counting more and more on the basis of race, and that's not a good thing. And just this morning, while I'm drinking my coffee, I'm watching TV, and if I notice it, everybody notices. And I know I've talked to people over the last five or six years or so, especially after the George Floyd incident. And this is a minor thing, but it tells you the direction in which this country is going. So it is a matter of culture which drives almost everything. 
I saw a series of uh, at least eight or nine commercials in a row where there was not one white actor in it. Everybody was either black or some other race. And the United States is still 70% white. That tells you something is going on, and that's fine. Look, I want equal opportunity, but the fact of the matter is we're being fed a narrative. We're being told something that is not true. And even if it's something minor, such as a commercial, it has an effect on the culture, and the culture then has an effect on national policy. Bottom line is, can't we do what Martin Luther King said, and that is judge people by content of character, not color of skin. We got it right, and now we're reverting again to lunacy. Well, MLK was so 60s. Uh, the new the new hotness is Ibram X. Kendi, which says the exact opposite. See race in everything you do. Peter Kirsten, I'll thank you, my friend. Thanks, Bob. Personal Health Coach, $49 special to get started. What are you waiting for? It's broadviewhealthcenter.com. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and keepingmedicaresimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Alrighty, our number three is underway. Push that button for me, Seth. Nine minutes after 11 o'clock. Thank you, sir. The uh, Tuesday edition, it's the 27th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2024. So we are obviously, what now, 20, day, 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 20 days away All right, from uh, uh, the March 19th primary. I'm counting uh, the two days of the leap year that are still to come here. So we've got uh, 21 days, I guess it would be, 21 days away from the March 19th primary. So hopefully you uh, have got that figured out and you're going to vote early. I've said it before, to no avail, unfortunately, but I will say it again. Do not wait until Election Day if you can avoid it. Sometimes we have seen it happen far too many times. Things happen that uh, we have every intention of going to vote in the primary, and then something happens, or you know, change of heart, or I just really, oh my God, should I? I mean, we don't have a presidential primary. There's only going to be one guy, and you know it's Trump, and you know the whole nine yards. So maybe I'm not going to go and vote, and then you leave off very important votes for local races, for uh, primary races for Congress, primary races for the Senate, uh, and so many other important things. So I'm going to say it again: Don't wait until election day. Get some votes cast in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter of the 30 days of early voting. That's four weeks of early voting. Make sure that you get out there and vote. It is important to do. Uh, we have to figure out who's going to be best positioned to beat Sherrod Brown. Uh, is that going to be Bernie? Is it going to be Matt Dolan? Is it going to be Frank LaRose? I don't know. 
But I do know we better figure it out. We better do it quickly. Um, and uh, like I said, make sure that we are there. And we got to make sure that you uh, uh, are voting in the uh, important local races for you as well, whether you have county commissioner primaries, you've got judiciary, ju- judicial primaries nobody talks about. Nobody talks about it, but they're extraordinarily important as well. And we're finding these things out with all of the lawfare and the judges uh, that are so corrupt in the uh, cases against Donald Trump. Judges matter. And judges matter on the local level as well, whether they be municipal or whether they be common pleas or whatever, domestic relations, whatever the case might be. All of these races are very, very important. So um, just to throw that out there, since Pete and I were talking about the politics of it all. I want to go to this uh, Joy Reid clip, though, because and, and let's open up the phone lines to it, 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers is just fine. But I want to... Um, um, Go back to Joy Reid and the story that Pete and I were just discussing. Joy Reid posted an unhinged rant on race, on uh, population control, and illegal immigration, uh, and managed to work slavery into the discussion as well. Joy Reid, by the way, who still has not apologized, to my understanding, to my knowledge, she has still not apologized for the cultural appropriation that she's responsible for. You know how uh, radical... Uh, race baiters and racial arsonists like Joy Reid are the ones who complain if white people uh, appropriate black culture. A, bl- a white woman wearing hoop earrings, how dare you? That's a black thing. A white person braiding his or her hair, how dare you? That's a black thing. Quit stealing our appropriation. Or, excuse me, appropriating our culture, rather. Joy Reid has a haircut. I, there's no other way to describe this than a 10-year-old white boy. She has toe-head colored blonde hair, straight as straight can be, tousled and kind of combed off to the side like a 10-year-old white boy might look for his school picture in, in, uh, in fifth grade. Uh, not even close to kidding. They complain about cultural appropriation, they meaning leftists, when it comes to you know uh, white people doing anything associated with the Hispanic culture, with, with African-American culture or whatever, but yet she can look like a 10-year-old white boy. It's bizarre. But I want to play this 2 minute 14 second rant of hers just so that we can make fun of it and break it down and let you know exactly what the other side is is truly made of here. Uh it's 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 hard to process sometimes exactly how unhinged they are. So let's do this. A population of north of 3 of Hold on, we're going to start. The United on. States has a population of north of 327 million people. Why do we need more kids? I mean, your party, Senator Tuberville, is the one screaming that 10 million immigrants, which I don't even know that that number even makes any sense because it doesn't, um, have streamed into the country since Joe Biden has been president. And you're claiming that that's too many people, that if more people come into the southern border, this is some sort of crisis because we, we've got too many people and we've got no more space and we can't afford more people. But now you're saying we need more kids? I'm going to pause this here for obvious reasons. To point out what stupidity and ignorance, a combination thereof, really look and sound like. This idiot thinks that all people are the same. That drug cartel members, gang members, human traffickers, prisoners and felons, and violent people from countries all over the world are the same thing as having babies. 
What are you talking about? We have 327 million people here, and you're saying we need more, but there are 10 million more that have crossed over, and you're saying we shouldn't have them. That's too many people. It's not the number of people. It is the type of people. It is the fact that there are laws regulating what people can come into the United States versus those that are born here. But I suspect she knows that. And she's not going to let the truth get in the way of a good leftist, radical, racist rant. Can you explain who's the we and what's the purpose? You're also a senator from the state of Alabama. God help the people there. Are you saying the state of Alabama needs more kids? Why does the state of Alabama need more kids? More kids for what? There was a time when the state of Alabama absolutely needed more kids because, you know, Alabama was a slave state. And the- Do you know that this idiot went to Harvard? Does that, does, that not, does that not say something to you? I mean, in all seriousness, that says so much to me about who she is. And it also says so much to, you about, to, be, to me about what the elite uh, leftist universities are all about. She literally is a graduate of the supposed pinnacle of American higher education. She's a graduate of Harvard. And this is the level of mentality that she displays on her television program on MSNBC on a regular basis. And now that's not enough. She has to do this on her Twitter, her Twitter page more. You're also a senator from the state of Alabama. God help the people there. Are you saying the state of Alabama needs more kids? Why does the state of Alabama need more kids? More kids for what? There was a time when the state of Alabama absolutely needed more kids because, you know, Alabama was a slave state. And the mandate of the planter class in Alabama was for black women to produce more kids because those kids were property. And they could work more kids and make more money on their plantations. Are you saying the state of Alabama needs more kids because you think that those populations will include people who are maybe destitute and desperate enough if you kick out the immigrants like a lot of y'all want to do and you could make them do the work that the migrants are doing now? Because that kind of sounds slavery-ish. Does this, um, does this Harvard graduate know that slavery ended 160 years ago? Does she, is she aware of the fact that that literally hundreds of thousands of white people died ending slavery? Does she know that? Does she know that that happened? Does she know that Alabama is not a slave state today, and then in fact there are no slave states today except for the states with which she closely identifies, like, I don't know, China? Slavery still happens in China. Slavery still happens also in Africa. Nations on the continent of Africa still have slavery. She's a proud African-American, but she wants to say that if Tommy Tuberville, Tuberville, the senator from Alabama, is talking about the dangerously declining birth rate while the massive increase and the spike of illegal aliens coming across our border from around the globe is a threat to the United States. He's the racist representing a slave state while she's the enlightened one. The only thing enlightened is, again, her, is her culturally appropriated blonde hair. But I continue. Is the state of Alabama the we? And is, is, is that the why? I mean, you're also a white guy. Are you saying the we is 
white folks need more kids? Is this like a great replacement thing where you're concerned that there's not enough white people in the population versus the growth of the Latino population, the black population, the Asian American population? And so the we is white people need to make white women have more kids. And that's the we, that's the why, because it's a little creepy. A little handmaid's tale, don't you think? It might be creepy if he had said anything even remotely in the in the in the hemisphere of such thought when he said we you dense bag of ignorance he's talking about america and guess who else is talking about the very same thing in their own country do you know that china has rescinded their one child policy and do you know why because china is at a very, very precarious, in a very precarious position right now with respect to the birth rate in China being too slow to be able to keep up with what they need for that country to continue to exist and to prosper as they do it in communist countries. Meaning, same thing we talked about here in the Tommy Tuberville and anybody else who is here is talking about this. A country that has a declining birth rate will indeed collapse. The economy will crumble. The infrastructure will crumble. There's something called Joyless Reed, you, you, you incomprehensible bag of flotsam and jetsam. There is something in the, in, in, in human society and civilization that you need to understand. There is something called a life cycle. People, generally speaking, start out as infants, then they grow up as children, and then they learn things that make them productive adults, and then they produce. While they are producing, there are people behind them coming up into the educational system. They are being born, and then they are learning to produce. And as the first group becomes elderly and unable to produce anymore, they have to be able to live and survive on what? On the productivity of the generations behind them. And that cycle perpetuates itself. It continues where young become productive adults, who become older, who become non-productive adults, who have to rely upon the generation behind them to be productive to continue to allow them to live out their natural life cycles. If we have a period of time where the birth rate declines so much so that there is not productivity behind any certain generation or two of individuals who advance into the end cycle, end part portion of their life cycles, the entire thing collapses. Tommy Tuberville is right. The birth rate matters. For you to claim that we don't need to just give birth to more, we just need to, to more Americans, we just need to import more illegal aliens from foreign countries, shows extraordinarily how far Harvard has fallen. And every other left-wing piece of trash institution that is pumping out graduates like this incomprehensible bag of wind, it shows just how bad they have become. That you think that importing millions of illegal alien migrants from Central America and Latin America, millions of illegal alien migrants from China, from Venezuela, from, uh, from Saudi Arabia, from Afghanistan, from, from the Middle East, from the Far East, from, from Eastern, they're literally 190 plus countries represented in the illegal immigration that it continues to pour into this country. And they're not here to assimilate and be America. They are here to be their own countries 
balkanized around this great this great nation's land geographically bounding themselves uh, uh, um uh, bounding themselves if you will or bordering themselves away from others in a balkanized uh, 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 attempt to essentially reestablish the country that they just fled here in the United States and at the same time tearing apart the capital uh, capitalism and the freedom and the liberty and the constitutional principles of Western civilization all at the same time. But she thinks she thinks the Great Replacement Theory is a bad thing, or, or rather is a, is, a, is a racist thing. No, it is a survival thing. Americans are born. All colors, all ethnicities, and they contribute to Americanism, and they contribute to our society and our culture. They contribute to the cycle of life in the United States of America, and that's why we need them. People who are coming in from outside who wish to rather than contribute to it, but to stop it and destroy it are harming this country. Yes, the great replacement theory is real. You babbling bag of joy read you. The great replacement theory is real, and it is dangerous. And it's not because of the color of the people coming. It is because of the intentions of these lawbreakers when they get here. Tanya's in Akron. Hi, Tanya. Go ahead. After that rant, Bob. Sorry. With uh, But I wanted to call about uh, Trump. Uh, I'm not really happy that he gets to choose someone, but it's for four years and after the last, after a tax he has gone through, I think I personally would want someone to cover my back too. I think Laura Trump is, has youthfulness, she will bring new ideas, and I think we can hold him accountable and we can get some things done. But the topic we were talking about first when you started about what New York is doing, the question, did you know that New York is going to take that money and put it in their treasury? Oh, yeah, of course they are. Of course they are. It's, that's why, that's why I called they... it theft. It's thefts. <laughs> They've stolen Donald Trump's money from him. That's exactly what they're doing. And when they take that money and put it in the treasury, guess what they're going to do? They're going to use it for causes that support liberal causes. We need to stop it, and we need to protest. We need to make sure that Trump, it does not have to pay that money, and we need to support him, you know? And, 100%. 100%. And Leticia James is probably going to add a new wing to her house, and so is Judge Edgar on, or whatever his name is, and uh, and Kathy Hochul. And, you know, I, I joke uh, about that, but only slightly, because it is theft. They're stealing the money from Donald Trump for their own purposes. And you're right. They'll use it for left-wing causes, or they'll use it themselves, or they'll grease the pockets of others, and they'll money launder it till eventually the proceeds get back to them. There is no doubt about it. They had to stop Donald Trump uh, one way or another, and if they can find a way to enrich themselves while they, while they do it, that's exactly what they will do. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously the way I explained everything, or rather uh, the way I allowed Andrew Napolitano to explain everything, this is literally organized theft, it's organized crime, and uh, I am I am praying to God that, that there is somebody on the other side of this in the appellate courts uh, that are going to stop this. And I hope if he has to take it all the way to the Supreme Court, they do it. They hear everything that Napolitano talked about and say not only do they give Donald Trump his money back, um, but they sanction and maybe even lock up those who, uh, who brought this incredible theft uh, upon him. 
great. Well, I will be voting today. Uh, let's get these trans dims out of the state of Ohio, if you well, can, in your area. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you before you go vote, Tanya. Somebody called yesterday and asked for you. I had in the studio yesterday a one-hour-long debate-slash-discussion-slash-forum with Kevin Coughlin and Chris Banweg, two very, very strong candidates for uh, you know the primary in District 13 to, to take out uh, Amelia Sykes. And a caller yesterday said, I don't know what to do. I'm confused. I like them both. There's a lot to like about both of them. One of them is experienced in legislating. One of them is a newcomer. Uh, but they have very, very different, they have very similar ideals, but different ideas on what it means to be a congressman. And somebody called and said, I need Tanya from Akron to call me to tell me how to vote because I don't know what to do with these two. I'm going for Coughlin. I'm going for experience. You know, the Sykes here are, are pariahs. You know, they're just there. They're everywhere in the state of Ohio. We need to get them out and get them out, and we need experience of that. And then we need someone that knows how to go in day one and support our the representatives. I, I that's all I can say. Okay, we, no, that's what we, I was looking I, for. I Somebody have, wanted your have, opinion on it. They value okay. your opinion. They like your calls. They like your common sense. I do too, by the way. Uh, I'm glad I don't live in that district because I'd have a tough time. I like. There's a lot to like about Kevin. There's a lot to like about Chris Banwig. I got to know them both a bit. Spent a good deal of time talking to them, and uh, I like the ideas and the uh, the principles for which they stand. Uh, a great deal, and um, if, if I had a tougher call, man, uh, than that one, I don't know what it would be. That's a, that's a tough one, and uh, and I respect your opinion on it, and I respect anybody who goes with Chris Banweg as well. It'll be very interesting to see how this one. Yeah, plays that's out. just my personal opinion. I just think that I've lived through Marsha Fudd and Sykes. I can't stand, and uh, the oh, I can't stand it anymore. I don't blame you. I don't <laughs> I blame you, Tony. I'm not rep. I'm not represented in this in in the state. <laughs> In this in this area at all. Well, I I, I feel I anybody. Good. The biggest the biggest thing I would tell people, as Tom Z says, get off your keister, and he doesn't say it so nicely. Get off your keister. Go now that the uh, Republican headquarters is in Fairline. Go visit. I'm planning on doing that this week. I want them to see my face. I want to hold, make sure I hold them accountable, so we can be as active. In our area, as Medina is, and some of the other areas. ClevelandOrchestra.com. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1136. Let's get a few more phone calls in here before we're done at 1145. And we ask Bill O'Reilly to carry it to the top of the hour and some Charlie Kirk for us. We'll go to um, Jason. In Brunswick. Hi, Jason. You're on the air. Fire away. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Doing well, sir. What's on your mind? Good, good. I'm going to try again to uh, pack an hour's worth of information in three minutes, so bear with me here. I've got uh, faith in you. <laughs> Joy Reid. You're talking about Joy Reid? Yeah. Uh, the, the difference between you know the 1800s and the, the plantation owner back then uh, was that his him and his men let you know who they were. Um, today, the plantation... The plantation that they're running now, they have useful idiots like Joy Reid to, to run it from within. So that's the big difference. There's still a plantation. Uh, it, it's run by people like Joy. 
That is very well said. That is exactly right. And she gets really, really mad when people leave that plantation. She needs them to remain shackled to it uh, ideologically uh, in order to keep, you know, the, the, the things that she has, in order to keep power, in order for them to continue to perpetuate the, you know, the victimization industrial complex. So, so I was going to then touch on, you know, you were talking with Peter uh, about the illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that our local leaders around here are, are touching on that they're talking about not addressing the illegal immigration is the affordable housing crisis. Um, you'll, you'll hear all the usual suspects. Uh, again, Chris Ronin, Justin Bibb, Stephanie House. All these people went before uh, the Ohio Senate and their, their uh, select subcommittee on housing uh, looking to change zoning laws. Uh, you know, where are we going to put more of these illegals? Should they come here? Last uh, summer, when they were showing up in NYC, uh, you had Mayor Adams and you had Governor Hochul trying to take all of those immigrants and send them to the upstate counties. Um, they were trying to do it over the summer where they could send them into colleges and they could have them stay in the dorm rooms. And then when the kids came back in the summer, uh, those people would already be established and then they would have to find other means. Uh, so, again, they're, they're, this is what I'm fearful that we're going to be looking at across the country, right? New York's the model. Um, so, so it's something to be considering. It's a lot, um, not just to consider, accept it. That is absolutely what's going to happen unless serious intervention takes place. Unless Biden does what he's talked about in the last week or so, which is actually, you know, kind of, um, invoking some of Trump's policies down there just to get a little bit under control between now and November, because he knows that literally, uh, 80 plus percent of Americans have identified illegal immigration as their number one concern. And that's his. So he's got, he's got to try to do something just to placate them for a few months. And then, of course, if he wins, um, he'll go right back to business as usual and erase all of them. Right back to it, and then and then we'll be looking at the ground level effects, right? We got Ronane and Joe Simperman. Joe Simperman, who had to resign from Cleveland City Council on uh, ethics violations, 26 misdemeanors, I think is what they hit him with, who now heads up Global Cleveland. So he's trying to bring the immigrants in here. Uh, Chris Ronane and him came up with the Migrant Resettlement Office over on Fulton now. They want to bring more of them. And they, they don't want to concentrate them in Cleveland. Again, this is where NOACA comes back in. They want to send them out to the region. Um, so, so you got to keep an eye out there. Um, you know, you got two million with, with Justin Bibb and Ronane working together, wanting to do $2 million on housing for the homeless. They want to build houses for the homeless. So, you know, we're talking about an affordable housing crisis. Uh, we're, we're not going to pay any mind to the lockdowns that cause it, the moratoriums on evictions, um, you know, people fleeing, uh, you know, small landlords fleeing that business, uh, getting bought up by BlackRock and all these other people uh, that, that just forced the property values through the roof. California, New York residents fleeing the lockdowns there to go buy in Florida and, and through Idaho and, and Iowa, uh, forcing those property values up. We're not going to talk about any of that. We're not going to talk about the gentrification of Cleveland uh, and Ohio City and Tremont, uh, giving tax abatements to all the developers and the property owners down there that forces the taxes through the roof for the people that exist there that then have to sell their houses. We're not going to talk about that, right? You're not, uh, not allowed to talk about, about any that. Of stuff. Yeah, you're definitely right. not allowed to it's talk all, about that. It's all downstream, okay? It's all downstream. So, so while they try to solve this quote-unquote affordability crisis, our property values are going up. Uh, 
Now the state wants to answer it by giving a bit of a moratorium on some of the elderly and their property taxes. Well, what's that going to do? That's going to steal money out of small townships and small communities that rely on those property taxes. And who's going to be there with the funds for their roads and all that other stuff? NOACA is going to be right there with their billions of dollars in, in federal money to save the day. I mean, this is so calculated. I call up every time and I go crazy. But everything's woven together. And I just want to make sure, drop another nugget of information for everybody. Go out there. Look up the Ohio uh, the Senate Select Committee on Affordable Housing. They came to the Cleveland Foundation last month. Uh, I think there was a bunch of people giving testimony. Go watch the video. Go look up the, the transcripts. It's all there. You've got to start versing yourselves on this stuff. They want to change zoning. Marsha Fudge, the Assistant Secretary of, of Housing and Urban Development, or I think she's a secretary now. Her, her main objective when she got in was to change the, uh, what would she say, uh, eliminate the single-family housing, uh, single-family zoning of the suburbs. They're, they're coming for what you have. Well, they're coming for what makes us America. I'll tell you what, Jason, I was right to have faith in you. You did. You got it all in, and very, very understandably, too. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you dropping those nuggets in every time you call. You have great information, and you do. You are able to bring a lot of these national issues closer to home and how they impact us, including, by the way, reminding everybody about the threat of NOACA. So I'm glad you did it. Thank you for the call. I'm going to get uh, TJ in here before we're done. TJ, go ahead, sir. Yeah, hi, Bob. You know, Bob, I'd like to tell a personal immigrant story I have. You know, I look at these immigrants today. And not all of them, I know, but a lot of them are coming here just for the free phones, the free everything they can get. Yeah. In Vietnam, we had a soldier in our platoon. His name was Concepcion. He wasn't an American citizen. He kind of was a loner because he could barely speak the language. One night I was talking to him, and I asked him, I said, why are you here? You don't have to be here. And he told me, he said, they told him that if he spent the tour in Vietnam, they would make him an American citizen. And he never made it. Two weeks later, he was killed by a booby trap. And I'm thinking, this man thought so much of becoming an American that he risked a, a, a tour in hell to do it. And I. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.